shall we begin? Hello everybody and welcome to the second episode of Legion Quest. My name's Matt and I'm here with Zach. Hey Matt, how you doing? I'm doing okay today. How are you? Tired. Yeah, but cool. I'm excited about Legion because that was awesome. And we're here to talk about the second episode entitled Chapter 2 of the new FX show. So I guess, is there anything you want to talk about before we jump into the episode? Uh, I do want to say one thing uh, for people who have been listening to at least the last episode. We're still getting our you know feet wet on this. We're still trying yeah. to figure out how we want to handle it. One of the ways we're doing that is, look, each and every one of you listening to this has either seen the show, seen this episode, or you're going to remember that, oh, wait, that show was on. I should go watch it before you, I listen to this podcast. Probably a good thing so today. We're going to spend less time doing a recap of what all of us have seen because, eh, we all know it. And we're going to just focus on our reactions, kind of the theories that are popping around and all, stuff like that. Yeah. However, just like, you know, we've been talking about over the past week. And one thing that we did want to keep was the 30 second recap because we think it's useful just to have like a, a foundation. Mm-hmm. So. Chapter 2 sees David being brought to the Summerlands, the facility run by Melanie Bird. And then she and Potonomy help him delve into his mind using memory work. We learn that he has a girlfriend called Philly, or had one. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also know that he knew Lenny before the clockworks. And we found out some stuff about his dad. And then towards the end, yeah. we found out that the 3rd Division has Amy, his sister. And they're going to be doing some stuff regarding her. And David's aware of this, so he wants to go save her, but Sid is able to persuade him to stay at the Summerlands and help own his powers first before he heads out into the world again. Yeah. Yeah. I do think like I do think this was like more of like a a setting up the plot episode compared to the other one. Like they kind of work as like a giant pilot together in that way. Well, I mean, the first episode was a masterclass of television, period. It had fantastic pacing. It told a full story in its, you know, 90 minutes plus commercials, or Mm -hmm. with commercials and all that stuff. It did a great job of that. However, this is a serial thing. This is Mm -hmm. going to be going week to week, and you have to have ebbs and flows of action. You can't have your foot on the pedal 100% of the time, because then it doesn't, it loses the impact when you do go big. Yeah, like, obviously, this episode is tense in quite a few ways. Oh, that's that's the best way to describe it. Yeah, particularly with, like, the MRI stuff, which we'll talk about, obviously. And well, I think, like, it, that, like, that's kind of tense in, like, it's a very enclosed space and everything. Mm-hmm. But then you're also, like, it's, the Summerlands feels like a very interesting place. Like, I've, I've seen some people describe it almost, like, cult-like. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to mm-hmm. say that. Because mm-hmm. obviously, like, David has these apprehensions, like, when they try out the memory work, he, like, kind of like the first time that it doesn't go as particularly well he kind of wants to stay away from it but everyone's like convincing him to kind of go back in and then like even Sid later on kind of you know convinces him to stay at the facility instead of heading back out and trying to rescue Amy well in uh autonomy who I want to get this out of the way right now has the best sweaters on television since Mr. Rogers he was yeah. wearing yeah Mr. Rogers had some very good sweaters Potomomy's are just as good <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, one of the things he says to David is the reason he's doing this is because, you know, Melanie means so much to him and she's helped him out so much. And he's such a believer in her cause. Mm. So there's there's this weird thing where, you know, they are they are kind of portrayed in a heroic 
role. And hmm. I think there's there's a lot of hints that it's not all sunshine and rainbows there. Yeah, I it's think, not perfect. I think like a really interesting thing about it, like it's this idea that you know, like it's a place for David, like where he belongs, but at the same time he's also like an outsider because of that nature where, where everyone's like so kind of orientated around like there's kind of one common goal and they're all used to the memory work. Like he's still not like fully found a place to exist. Yeah, it's. <laughs> And one thing about that, and I wanted to touch on this, is the show's portrayal of mental health and all of this. Because that's something that's played on here. The big thing, and they started this in the last episode, is saying, David, you're not sick. You don't have paranoid schizophrenia. None of that's what's really happening here. That's not your explanation. You're a mutant. You've got all this stuff. And on one hand, I really like the way they're handling it because what they're saying is, hey, David... You are, you know, you're more than this. You can overcome what's happening, even though it's not the actual medical disability. He still has struggles because he can't operate. He can't function normally with, you know, his telepathy and all that stuff. Hmm. On the other hand, I was one thing I was looking forward to in the show is a good depiction of mental health and how to, you know, how it's treated, how it's viewed upon in reality. And I don't think it's a bad thing that the show's not going down that way. I mean, the show needs to be what it needs to be to tell the story. On the other hand, that was an expectation that maybe unjustly I had set up for myself. So I'm a little... Eh. Yeah, no, like, I, I had a similar experience with You're the Worst over the summers, like, because in that Gretchen started going to therapy, and I kind of ha- assumed that it would be maybe delving and focusing on that a little bit more than it did. Right. But I think, like, once I, once, like, I kind of understood it wasn't going to be doing it in like the traditional sense of her going to therapy i kind of like you know like i got more used to it and kind of just was interested in seeing where they were going with it as they were doing it yeah because i mean there's a lot of things that this show could have been i know we talked in the last couple of episodes there's people and i've still seen it who are disappointed in this because it doesn't feel like x-men it doesn't feel like any mm-hmm. of that not not that they actually advertise this with big x-men connections the whole time no. beyond beyond the O in the logo. But, yeah. you know, when when people have that set of expectations, even if something is very good but different, it's not going to measure up to what the people wanted. So, I mean, I think that's an important thing to note. I don't think it really impacts the show going forward because, lucky for us, this show is fantastic on its own merits. Mm. But, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, like, one of the, while we were talking about, like, the opening credits, I do like how understated they are. Like, it's not, like, it's not, these ones weren't particularly flashy in any way. Like, it's like that kind of, the murmur of voices, and then you get the X appearing in the O, as you said. Yeah, and I'd I'd actually like to say, you know, as it started out, the opening of this was real cinematic. It Oh yeah, absolutely, it's the aspect ratio thing again. Oh, and they were jumping that a lot in those first, like, two or three minutes. Hmm. Yeah, I think, like, David's narration in that bit feels really poetic in a way. Oh, yeah. Like, there's obviously, like, some kind of, not necessarily, like, on-the-nose lines, but they're, like, blunt in order to then be able to make the cut and show the third division in pursuit and everything. Right. But those, those uh, scenes kind of, like, on the river, essentially. Oh, and, you know, right really in there, serene. we, right in there, we get a name for, uh, who looks to be the, one of the leading guys in the third division, the guy mm-hmm. with the, uh, he was in the uh, interview room with the interrogator during the first episode, he was the whittling mm-hmm. guy. And they are calling him the I. Yeah. 
Well, like, uh, one of the things I just want to kind of mention is, like, I was able to find the pilot script sometime in the last week. Oh, yeah, I saw that. I saw yeah. someone had posted and, that somewhere. I didn't have a chance to look at it. Yeah. I, like, I I went through it yesterday, and, like, the eye, he's mentioned, like, he's give, given that name in, like, the first episode and everything. Right. And I th think it may even explain, like, a little bit about him, but... Well, like, he's, the... he's got, like, a jank eye. I don't know what's... Mm. I think everyone just assumed it was a glass eye or something like that, and, you know, it's one of the... Yeah. It's one of the character ticks that Wes Anderson gives. I know, or Wes Anderson. <laughs> well, Wes Anderson does the same thing, but Noah Hawley. Yeah, Holly. he does. Yeah, there's like the Noah Hawley through the show. But <laughs> oh, it's it's a very Wes Anderson show. We said, you know, we said that, and like the, oh yeah, the, it's, it's there's like the Wes like the occasional yeah, there's occasional like establishing shots which feel really like toy box like, and like I feel like that's kind of the way that like Anderson would establish a location and stuff like you know like the Grand Budapest Hotel or and like an actual like model kind of thing like the fan, uh, the fantastic mr fox movies right mm. yeah i i think i think the eye in something like this you know i just thought it was going to be like the deaf assassins in uh in fargo season one. Oh yeah numbers and wrench yeah yeah, yeah. they were great mm. i mean besides the murder they were oh, yeah. they seemed like they seemed like pretty adorable people yeah. but they uh you know i just said okay that's a character trick i'm not going to think about it and then you know as this goes on one of the things they were talking about for Division Three, the shady government organization, mm. is you know how they want to control mutants and then get rid of the ones they don't use. You know, make sure that mm. they are in the driver's seat there. And I was like, oh, that's a really cool way to do that. Way to show, you know, play off your expectations, especially for the people who know the showrunner a little bit. You might just think, oh, this is a little quirk. And instead he plays it into the bigger narrative. I really appreciated that. Yeah. Also, while you mentioned the whittling dog like obviously like the, the show's asking or putting like a lot of questions out there and we haven't necessarily got any answers to yeah, all of them but like one of the ones that you were like what's up with like the creepy dog and there's like another dog in this and it's yeah. you know it's like shot in a strange way yeah i don't know what's going on with dogs mm. but there's a lot of them yeah and it's a bunch of you know german shepherds it's a bunch of stuff that feels like it's like tracking and all this stuff i don't know we've seen on clockworks they had a they had a dog sculpted into the building, which oh yeah, that's a good we get, a, we get a better shot of near the beginning of this episode. Uh, there's the creepy demon dog thingy in the cage. The eye was whittling a dog in the first episode. I don't know what it means. I'm not even no. going to pretend like I know what it means. No, I think we need like a little bit more before we can make an, a judgment about that. Oh come on! Yeah, look, I made I made a huge. Huge sprawling prediction about the Mojo verse on about no data last week. I mean, to, so. be, to be fair, there's like a lot. There's a lot of like various symbolisms there. Whereas here, it's just like there are a lot of dogs as opposed to like oh, like there's TV screens and a set and right. you know eyes and things one, like that. One thing I want to add to that. One addendum to the big old Mojo theory is from last week when the devil with the yellow eyes appears in again a very Wes Anderson-y thing. Right when they introduce it. It's introduced over a picture of a guy eating a videotape, like uh, the magnetic tape from a VHS. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. It's like I, when that scene first appeared, I didn't like. I knew that obviously he was eating something, but I didn't register what it was initially. But you know, within like the grand scheme of everything, it, no, like it's more. Look, I mean, it, it, just, it just plays into all of my uh, beautiful mind style string montage on my wall. So <laughs> yeah, so, like I. Uh, I guess while we're talking about the devil as well, like in the pilot script, it refers to him as like a black shadowy figure. Yeah, that's not what happened. That's mm. not what that was at all. Yeah, like it, it's obviously like it's a very different 
draft to what we got on screen. Like, I think Amy shows up around halfway through. Mm-hmm. And the scenes with the therapist, like, he, you know, he appears in, like, this pilot script. And so, like, you know, it, like, it's gone through a lot of stuff, but then, like, the very initial kind of core concepts have been there since the start, like, Sid and David's relationship is, like, still the catalyst for everything going wrong. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, shoot that over to me. I'll add that to the as-mentioned. And then anyone listening can uh, take a look. Yeah, sure. So, do you want to talk about the memory work? Because I feel like that's the most important concept. I do want to talk about the memory work. Absolutely. I think, like, it's a really kind of, like, surreal experience of kind of, like, delving in anyway. Like, and oh, yeah. Kind of ha- yeah. And then David having, in a sense, like, a form of control and being yeah. able to choose, like, obviously, what else like, Patonomy is the guy who's doing it all, but then David has, like, the chance to kind of experience it from standstills as opposed to, like, constantly having them all, like, hurdle towards him internally. Yeah, I mean, being an observer in your own memory isn't a new trope for uh, film or or stories. I mean, at least the earliest I can think, but as far back as A Christmas Carol from Charles Dickens, I mean, it does the same thing with Ebenezer Scrooge. But it's a very effective way when when done with care, when done with forethought. And it works in this show and it doesn't feel cheap because memory and because, you know, the inner workings of the mind are so important to it that it feels like you need to understand, you know, what's building up to this character, what's happened in his life that's mm-hmm. gone that's gone through and seen all this. But, you know, we start out and we see, you know, him and his sister Amy and and their dog. Yeah, uh, oh yeah, the dog's there as well. <laughs> Running, running through a field and having a good time, and it it reflects a lot of their relationship that's very strained as David gets older. Hmm. I think like one of the things about the memory stuff is like how like you know it shows like how we can remember things because like if with the uh, therapy stuff, mm-hmm. there's like the the glitch that Patonomy picks up on, right? And you know, like you know, that could be very easily like David kind of deciding like. I don't want to remember what I said there because it's like not something I want to re-experience and just kind of like pushing it out. Yeah. And then like kind of over- overriding it in a way. Oh, they are they are doing a lot of stuff playing with. Hey, what are you really remembering? And that's that's one thing that I want to kind of say something on because there's a lot of mm. people talking. Uh, hey, what's real? What's not real on this show? And the show has leaned into that a good amount. Yeah, like first, yeah, this isn't people like abstractly. Episode grasping ideas like it, it is dealing with like how we perceive but at the same time i feel i feel like from what we've seen in the show almost everything's real that's you know happening but the real question is what is he remembering what is he retaining when he's not when he's experiences experiencing it but when he's going back and reliving it or sharing his experiences with someone else what what are we really seeing there i think that's the that's the bigger question because you know on all this memory work it's a little abstract. It's a little out there, and there are there are holes in it. There are gaps. It's you know the unreliable narrator trope. Well, heck, like you know, in the beginning of the episode, David's like a narrator there as well. So I'd be interested to see if that se- that sequence of them is going to come back in some way. Yeah, that'll be. At, at the time, it makes it seem like the third division is like it's still tracking them, but it's not close enough for there to be any immediate danger. Right. They know they know there's something going on. They yeah. I'm sure they are aware of Melanie Bird and her whole uh, her whole little community. But. Yeah, like because you know, like at the end, there are people around, so it's not it's not like fully secluded in a hidden woodland somewhere. 
And unlike the idea of like what do people remember, obviously like the, the kitchen scene comes back as well, but but we like see it with new information this time. Kind of now that we know that David had a girlfriend before going into therapy and then into the clockworks. Right, and I, I I know it was kind of implied in the first episode, but getting mm. a little more explicit detail, just chiseling away of what really happened, what got David into clockworks, that's a interesting yeah. thing. Yeah, like I think the the kitchen scene, if you were looking at it, you could maybe be like, oh, that's him and his sister, before he storms in and everything goes wrong. But... Right, right. You knew there was an argument, you knew yeah. there was a girl, you didn't have context, and adding context yeah. is going to be important, I think. A lot of these memories, a lot of these themes that are coming back, there's going to be context. Because one of the mm-hmm. one of the biggest gaps in the memories, and intentionally so for a lot of fans, is the stuff about his dad. Oh yeah, like when we when we see him, we don't really see him. Like it obscures his face. Yeah, I mean, and something like you know, you hear a voice and everything, but and it his dad doesn't doesn't act like a. I don't know if he acts like a real dad or not, or how much these memories are real. Well, I feel like a, like a real dad, I'd, I'd be a little bit shocked and worried if my dad was reading me that kind of story at that yeah. age. Like, one of my first notes on this is, as a parent, you know, I have a, yes, I know, quote-unquote, as a parent, but I have, I have a one-year-old son, he's sleeping upstairs right now, if I read him that book... I don't know what I would... I would get, like, halfway through and be like, Hey, uh, this story is fake. We're going to find a new one because this is horrifying. This is yeah. a terrible thing to read to a child. Hmm. The angriest boy in the world. And I don't know if that's... Again, that's something... I don't know if that's David remembering something different. I don't know if that's his dad screwed up. But, you know, hmm. comic spoilers and something we've said about a million times on the show... Legion's biggest connection to the comic universe is that he's Charles Xavier's estranged, lost son, hmm. and that wasn't Charles Xavier. That no. wasn't that wasn't bald old Patrick Stewart on a wheel in a wheelchair. No, because I was like, that, you know, they take the trunk. <laughs> Professor X cannot do that. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was weird, and it got me thinking. Okay, okay, okay. So is this like his stepdad? Because in in the comics and in every other piece of media, he doesn't know Xavier's his father. It takes until they actually interact and they actually meet to figure out, oh my gosh, you're my kid and you're like in your late teens, early 20s and all this stuff. So I'm I'm trying to figure out how much of that is real. And I think the big thing will be if we talk to or if we get some stuff from Amy, his sister, about their father and all this relationship with that, that's going to be the real driver of that. Because we've seen we've seen both of them and their mother. We haven't yeah. we haven't seen any interactions with the father, so that's that's going to be an interesting way this goes. Yeah, like I feel like an initial thought about the book and everything is that David killed his mum in some way, but I also like I feel that that's too out there because I don't get how it would then take him so long to end up in Clockworks or it would be I don't know because obviously like he's not he's not in control of his powers no, like as evidenced not. by the kitchen and yeah I'm in the kitchen. You know, as of right now, it's what we know as the inciting incident. Yeah. But it's obvious just with Amy's interactions with him in the present day, their mom's not around anymore. Maybe it's just because, you know, Amy's in her 30s, 40s, all that, and, you know, parents get old too. But I I don't know. It's 
I'm very interested to see how these family dynamics play out. I mean, family dynamics are a big part of the character in the comics. Mm. Uh, but anyway, I do I do think you're onto something with like Amy being the key because like you know they're gonna ha- providing that like she is kind of mentally okay, like you know isn't suffering from any illnesses in that way. Then presumably well, she'll have like a, an understanding of what happened and maybe like a more quote unquote objective idea of what went down. Right. And I feel like Amy's been, you know, of all the main cast, she's felt the most disconnected to everything on this show. I mean, she has her connection to David, but mm-hmm. that's it. And now, and David's connected, you know, he's connected to Lenny and Sid through the clockworks. He's collect, connected to Sid and Melanie and Potomy through, uh, through Summerland. He's connected to Factor mm-hmm. 3 because they're trying to kill him. Or Division 3, excuse me. Factor 3 is yeah. a freaking Silver Age villain group that Banshee was in. Uh, but... <laughs> They, you know, all that stuff's connected. And then Amy's just kind of out there. And I do like how the show's bringing her back in. She starts to do an investigation because David was living in her basement mm. and then disappeared. So she goes to Clockworks. Yeah, like, and Clockworks mm. doesn't know anything about David. Also, it doesn't look yeah, like they went through a traumatic thing where someone got, you know, got to live in the wall for a few seconds. Yeah, well, like, I was, you know, I was looking in the background at that time on kind of what they were painting. And I wasn't sure initially whether, like, are they putting doors on again? Or, I but I think that's, they, they were like white squares, and yeah, and that, I that think they're I think they're just like giving it a, like a fresh coat essentially at the moment. Yeah, that place is weird. I know there's been a lot of talk about what's real, what's not real at like Clockworks and all that, mm. but it feels like Amy knows something happened there. Amy knows at least that David told her he was at Clockworks, and it sure as heck mm. feels like he was there. But yeah, like I think he, it's it's definitely got to be a thing which is real, but who knows whether his perception of it was different somehow. Yeah, because. Amy knows he was there. Division 3 knows he was there. And Division 3 gets yeah, they Amy. they show up at the same time. They mm. find Amy. The eye captures her. And then he says that creepy line from our drop. And oh, yeah. I'm so, I'm, I'm so glad we finally heard that. Yeah. Both of both of the weird lines in our drop. The whole David, David. Mm. Yeah. Both in this episode. I started giggling. I was like, hey, that's where we stole it from. Mm. But, I, yeah. I'm not, I don't really know what they're going to do to Amy at the moment. Like. I wonder, I, I'm kind of wondering whether they're going to try and delve into her memory to, like, if they're operating under the assumption she knows where David was going. Yeah, I I don't know if they're just going to use her as leverage. I don't know what they're going to do, hmm. but I like that they're bringing her a little closer to the actual story. I think that's hmm. a very good choice because, I mean, her actress has been fantastic during this, whose name I forget. Katie Asselton. Katie Asselton, that's right. She's been She's been real good at this. She's been a little understated as... You know, someone who's had to just kind of deal with uh, her brother's illness. Mm. And it, it's been, I think it's been real good. So I'm, yeah, I'm excited I'm for that. Like, yeah, I like, I, you know, by bringing her in, I guess that kind of leads, like, Lenny is the person who isn't particularly, like, important to, like, the ongoing story. Like, obviously she is killed in the instant that the clock works, but so yeah. it's not as if, like, she's continuing along like that. Yeah, but, you know, know, we do get more of her here. Yeah, and all the flashbacks. Yeah, I... I didn't expect her to be uh, friends with David outside of that, but no, I'm okay I, I assume they met in there. Like it just felt like the necessary thing, and like they latched on to each other, realizing they somewhat clicked. Right. <laughs> okay. First things first. Outside of that, Lenny is dressed like the captain from Next Wave. She is wearing his oh, God, outfit. Oh, you're right. Yeah. That's all I could. I was like, that. That's exactly what the captain wears. Ooh, <sighs> Next Wave's not related to any of this stuff, but no, if but you it like, is very good. <laughs> if you like, just amazing. It's like Legion, but with a lot more punching and a lot less cerebral stuff. And 
good ass Warren Ellis writing and good ass Stuart Eminent uh, art. Oh, Eminent's stuff is great. Like the issue that's like seven two page spreads. <laughs> the one where they straight up say, "Hey, this is just a plot for you to get a bunch of issues of this and buy." Yeah. It. <laughs> I think like Lenny with the stove as well. She, she's a wonderful salesperson. <laughs> yeah, Lenny, Lenny has this feeling to her where. You know she's a bad influence. You know that she is not good to be around. You're going to get in trouble. But I think Lenny is the one person in David's life so far that doesn't even consider his illness as anything. It's like, oh, okay, you got that? Whatever. Let's let's go steal the stove and get some drugs. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So like, I can see where he's drawn to her. Yeah. I think you know, even if they'd met in Clockworks then I think that would have happened, like, they oh, were able to look past it. Yeah. yeah. But I, I, like, I think their relationship's, like, even stronger by the idea that Lenny would somehow find a way to get into Clockworks as well, just, like, you know, to stay with him. Well, I mean, Lenny doesn't seem like the most stable person in the world. No, but, like, part of me's curious if, if, like, it is, like, purely a drug addiction, and if that's, if she was to somehow use that and, like, to feign something even bigger to, like, justify being in there. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know, but I will say Aubrey Plaza has really stepped up her game in this show. Hmm. She is oozing, you know, a character that would be April Ludgate if April was not from a stable environment. It's hmm. it's like the dark April Ludgate, and it's great. I love it. I love it yeah. so much. <laughs> also, like another thing, like if we're going to talk about how impressive she is in the pilot script, Lenny is originally a guy. Yeah, right. and I, I remember I remember reading, she straight up said, hey, don't change any of the dialogue. And mm-hmm. that's how you get a lot of the crass remarks and a lot of the stuff, which adds a, it adds a different shade to the character, which I really like. Yeah, like, you know, it's obviously giving her something different to play, just like purely yeah. on that level, and then yes. wherever she wants to go with it. So, speaking of people who, you know, are really stepping up their game acting, in the flashback, Dan Stevens as uh, David is mm. nailing it as this burnout druggy guy. I mean, just with his body language. It's not even with his actions, but he's got one the costume designers hit it perfectly because he's not over the top. He's not wearing anything that looks like you know, you would see someone on the street and say, Oh, you're you're a burnout, you're horrible. Mm. But the way he you know, the way his hair's just sitting, the way he has that little bit of a I haven't shaved in a couple of days and I don't even care about it. The way his clothes just fit a little off, everything is leading up towards understanding his character and his character's position at the time right from the get-go. And I I think that's been a really good job. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, you, know, you, can, you can compare the therapy scenes to the ones where he's being interrogated in the pilot and there's, like, a completely different stature and everything. Oh, yeah. And he plays... I know we said in the first episode, but he plays with that twitchy inst- intensity, but he does it in a different mm. way in these flashbacks. Dan yeah, it's, Stevens, not, it's not like a delay of sorts. Yeah, yeah. and I don't mm. know if this is, you know, I don't know if he's supposed to be high in these scenes or what, but he is, he is nailing it. Yeah, I feel like he could be high, or, you know, coming off yeah. and waiting for another kind of use, because like, yeah. I feel like, you know, it would make sense as to why they then go to the drug boss to try and trade the stove. Trying to trade the stove for this thing called Vapor? I don't know if it's this new designer drug. I imagine it's going to play up 
real uh, real heavy in the next little bit. Mm. And one one weird thing when they're when they're uh, when they're high is he looks over at Lenny, and you get essentially a jump scare because she turns into the devil with yellow eyes for a spot. Oh yeah, second. that's like a real that's a real like shocking moment because of how calm the scene is as well. Yeah. Again, it's part of how this episode is a masterclass in rising and falling tension and mm. using that to really judge, you know, to really tell your story. I mean, there's another scene when uh, past burnout David is with his uh, psychology, psychiatrist and mm. he sees something open in a closet and he's freaking out and the tension is building, building, building. And you get this oh, sense of paranoia. Yeah, I was... I was like really expecting something to come out or like catch a glimpse of something really quickly, but not be given enough time to register what it is. Yeah, it's. I mean, David's getting these weird flashes of what might happen to his therapist and all this mm. stuff, and then it's nothing, and then it you know it breaks, it just brings you right back down. But it's it's like a uh, it's like an orchestra, it's like a big ensemble piece like that. They got the rising and falling tensions real good. It. They're doing a lot of lot of good work with that. Also, like you know, the frog with the blue eyes, like that's that's, that's creepy in a way yeah, as well. Their weird bong vaporizer thing. Mm. It's there's there's a lot of stuff. I feel like that frog's supposed to be. I feel like it's supposed to give you the feeling of the devil with the yellow eyes without outright stating it. Yeah, like I, if we were gonna do like a tradition, like a theory segment, then it would. I feel like you'd have to mention it there. Yeah, it's and I don't know if that's just an allusion to it or what, but there's a lot of stuff going, especially with how uh, how you get that weird freeze frame flash with Lenny that you know gives David a real bad trip. Hmm. Yeah, and then kind of like the other scenes which really rack up the tension are the ones when he's in the MRI machine. Exactly. That it's so claustrophobic in there, like the way the, the way that the camera's kind of like positioned on David's face, but also like a little bit off center. So it makes yeah. him bigger in a way. It really brought the tension. I mean, I don't know if you ever had an MRI mat, but I, no, I, uh, I had one when I was probably twelve or thirteen years old, and mm. it was, it was a creepy experience. I mean, first off, you're sick and people don't know why, and you don't really think of MRIs as something you do when you got the cold. That's to check yeah. if something real bad's happening. Mm. So you know. Turns out nothing was really, really wrong with me. They just, you know, doing double checks. But I remember being, you know, 13, 14, somewhere around there, and sitting in that big, loud machine, and it was the tension was real, real high there. Hmm. And they they nail that here. I mean, you got the MRI operator who's a little aloof. His name's yeah, also scary, like, like the other, uh, like one of the other uh, of Melanie Bird's soldiers. Yeah, and there's obviously uh, Carrie doing the like the Wing Chun stuff yeah. off to the side, which which like isn't visible the first time that we are in the like operations room for the yeah, MRI. Got this weird balance of the tension in the machine and then the acting like nothing's going on over mm. in the control room, and that tension ratchets ratchets up real quick when David mm. feels like he's alone, he doesn't know what's going on, and it starts to build once he starts to understand some of the stuff that might be happening with Amy he's hmm. just getting more and more afraid and frightened and it builds to a crescendo just like when his therapist was going to that closet door only this time only this time it delivers the punch 
And yeah, you see absolutely. Him creeping out by his feet, the devil with the yellow eyes just bent This down. is like the biggest look we've had at him as well, like sustained. Yeah. Ooh, that was like I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it because that was a friggin' intense <laughs> scene. Yeah, I feel like I feel like one thing there is then I I guess like the second the devil with the yellow eyes appears, it almost like gives David's power like even more juice because he then transports the MRI machine as well. Yeah, I mean, I know uh, when I was looking at it, it didn't look like he chucked that out with telekinesis. No. It looked like he just made it disappear, which mm. is, I think the show... Yeah, it's subtly, different to what we've seen already. I, I, I say subtly. I, I think the show, yeah, it's moving towards, hey, he's got a lot more power than just being Jean Grey. He, mm. <laughs> he can do way more and you haven't even scratched the surface I'm, i am curious to see what else he can do as well like based on this because it's that I'm feels like a what he an, can't do yeah because of like the third division talks about how he's maybe the most powerful so like right. what what's the limit on this at, w at what point does it get out of control and that he wouldn't be able to turn it off in a probably way probably about the point when he puts one of his really good friends into a wall perhaps that would, that would be the point it goes out of control i'd say mm. Yeah. But I'd say all in all, this was a fantastic episode. I don't think it reached the same level as the first episode. But no, I, I think, think that kind of comes down to the direction in a way. Yeah. And, and Noah Wait, Hawley not... didn't direct one. No, this was Michael Uffendahl, right. who I think his, his name springs to mind for Mad Men, first of all. Yeah, he's a. I know he's a uh, longtime TV director. He's done a lot of stuff, but. There's a difference between someone who has a bit more of a workman attitude to it, and not to say that his work was shoddy by any means, because he nails the tone from the first episode. Yeah, and there's, think, there's still some wonderful transitions and everything, like everything in the MRI when it moves into a different scene. I, I like, think basically pulls it up. Yeah, I think the you know, quote unquote quality of this episode has to do more of the nature of what this episode has to work with. I mean, it's mm -hmm. it's a setup episode. It's a little bit more exposition, a little bit more learning what's happening around them. And, you know, that's that's great. It answers a couple of questions. It gets them closer, but it's... You remember the big reveals. You don't remember the build-up as much. And this is a lot of build-up. It's very, very well done build-up, but... Yeah, and like, it, it's still keep, kind of keeping us firmly looking at what's going to be coming and wanting to analyze it in this way. Right. As opposed to being like, can we just skip through this and get to... What, like a big heist sequence or break in to rescue Amy or whatever. Right. So, 30 second recap on the episode? Yeah, sure. Let's break up, go through it again. So, David is brought to the Summerlands by Ptolemy, Melanie, and Sid. Melanie and Ptolemy then help David delve into his mind, and we learn that he had a girlfriend called Philly. He knew Lenny before the clockworks, and we also find out some stuff about his dad. And at the same time, 3rd Division has tracked down Amy and taken her captive while she's been trying to find David. David's aware of this and wants to go rescue her, but Sid persuades him to stay at the Summerlands to help her own his powers first. Alright. So one of the things that you and me had talked about, Matt, was mm. kind of keeping a list of the questions that we have. Yes. Yeah, we have a few here. So we'll go through those real quick. These are questions we're just going to combine this week and last week's. And then as we keep going through the season, we're going to be checking off, just keeping keeping some things in front of us. Yeah. So, like, you know, 
the big one about the inciting incident is what caused David's kitchen outburst, and we don't have all of the information there, but we know it's more more than likely to do with Philly at the moment. Right, we're we're getting a little more there. Yeah. Uh, and then, like, you know, there's like an overarching overarching question of what's real. I think what's we know the clockworks is real. I think we're getting a lot more clarity on what's real. I don't think we have all the yeah. answers yet. No, but like, it, I think the key to this one is seeing what where other characters go and maybe what other characters recall. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. we're we're gonna have to play with that one. Uh, mm. One of the other big ones: who is the devil with the yellow eyes? I know we discussed that at length last week. Yeah. I'm not saying there was much to support support my big theory in this week. I think there was a lot of talk about, you know, what's your narrative, what's your story going to be, but that could be just as well, you know, talking about mojo and film stuff as mm-hmm. it is just a general, that's the overarching theme of David Holler's character. You know, yeah. Who's going to be in control? What's that going to be? So I'm not, I'm not going to put that in either category. No. One thing uh, that I thought helped with the mojo theory is with the closet and everything, like you could perceive it as someone being off stage in a way and trying to oh, get David to like string it out even longer. I, w- I was kind of hoping beyond hope. There's a Chris Claremont and I think Alan Davis actually did the art on it. There's a cover with Mojo from, I want to say his third run on Uncanny X-Men. There's a cover there where Mojo is, he has his hands like creeping over the side of, you know, just a big black bar and his face is all there, like a horror movie character. Oh, and that's right. all I was okay. thinking about there. I don't, I think hmm. that was just me making connections that aren't really there, but. Yeah, yes. you know, it makes sense that you would make that one. Of course. Uh, I, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we still need to find out who this legion of substitute X-Men are. And we get a little bit of that with when David's sitting and talking with Potonomy. I think we know a lot more about them. I don't think we know what their real intentions are. No, because, you know, again, the cult stuff is. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's something which isn't being presented to David about their mission or. Uh. We, you know, we talked about the dog, like the creepy dogs. Yeah, creepy dogs. They keep popping up. We'll see whether they show up next episode as well and reevaluate from there. And then, uh, how did Sid escape? And how how did Sid escape from Clockworks? I mean, because she says, you know, after after you left, I wanted to find you. So you know something happened. We don't have the full story there, and that's no. something I want to know a bit more about. <laughs> yeah, while while we're talking about Sid, I think the scene in the car, like. Like when she, change when David like changes to Sid and everything, right? None of them, none of them particularly like react in like a, oh my god, we th- we thought we had David. Like it's almost relaxed as if they were expecting it in a way. Well, I think I think they now know. Oh, she's she's another mutant. We can mm. work with that. That's not. I mean, I'm, they reacted, but yeah, it wasn't a over to the top thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess that's all of the questions we had going into the episode. Yeah. So it's gonna be uh it's gonna be a real interesting uh, real interesting season. I'm excited for next week. Absolutely. I I'm kind of curious which memories they're gonna go go into next time. Well uh we'll have to see. So as we're uh, wrapping up here, Matt, where can uh, people find you online? You can find me on Twitter at Matt underscore Sibley, and you can also find me over on Newsarama because I'm part of the review team. I just right. put some uh, this week something went up about Daredevil seventeen by Charles Soule. Oh yeah, I saw that. I haven't I haven't read it because I am keeping myself I'm keeping myself spoiler free on Daredevil as much as I can because I've really liked what Soul and uh, Ron Garney are doing with that 
Is it Ron yeah. Garney who's doing the? Oh, yeah, Ron Garney's doing the, the bulk of this work so far. Yeah. And like, I, I was quite happy with it. And it was one of the issues I was more apprehensive about because it's dealing with stuff to do with Wade's run, which I absolutely adore. Oh, you mean how no one has a memory of anything that Daredevil was doing in the last, like, five years? Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, that whole retcon. That's going to be interesting. Yeah. Uh, so where can they find you? You can find me at uh, Xavier Files on the Twitter. Uh, that's also my website, and it's also where uh, Legion Quest is hosted. So you go to www.xavierfiles.com. You can uh, actually, this week, I guest starred on the podcast Multiversal Q. We did a real play RPG where I pretended to be uh, future grandpa son Cable from the X-Men, and we fought Nazi bees for uh, Valentine's Day. It was a heck of a lot of fun. Uh, so beyond that, you can uh, make sure you check out this podcast on Twitter, at Legion Quest. Follow us, do all that stuff, interact with us. We'll, if you got questions, shoot them over to us. We'll try and answer them on the show. Uh, if you've really liked what you've heard today, take a second and maybe review and uh, rate us on iTunes. That helps a lot more people get to understand the show, see where it's at, gets us a little higher in their algorithms. And uh, yeah, oh, if that's else, it, I think that's it. Good episode. Yeah. Uh, we'll uh, yeah, see everyone right. next week. Yeah, sure. Bye bye. David, David, David. Shall we begin? <laughs>